Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm Dave Walker, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Evan Birchfield. Evan, how are you? I'm doing great, DW. How are you? I'm fantastic, sort of. I don't know. My emotions are a, a, a tornado yeah. this weekend. So. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, as usual, we are here to recap the Falcons uh, game today. And their win, win over the Broncos in week nine of the 2020 NFL season. I know those have been rare to come by this year, but they did pull this one out at home. They did beat the Broncos 34 to 27 in what can only be described as a very falcony game. Uh, they went into the uh, halftime with a 20 to three lead ended up winning at 34 to 27. So you do the math as far as what happened in the second half. Um, this was absolutely a frustrating game at, at times and, and fun at other times. Um, Evan, what was one of your big takeaways from this game? Uh, thinking about it now that, that we've gotten through the emotions of it. I think the big takeaway was we got to see kind of, I, I know Julio Jones played, but outside of Julio Jones, a lot of, uh, inexperienced wide receivers who showed, you know, this team's full of young wide receiver depth. I mean, Alameda Sakias went deep on a pass and scored. Um, he was the number one receiver on the day. Uh, Christian Blake, I would have, I wanted to see more of him because I feel like he's the closest kind of Julio type player we have um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the different talents on the wide receivers. Um, but, you know, he did pretty well. Uh, Russell Gage wasn't as, you know, useful, I guess, as I expected with Calvin Ridley going down, um, you know, pretty much just staying in the slot. Uh, but yeah, I mean, big takeaway is the Falcons got up and kind of let them come back there for a second and had us <laughs> on the edge of our seats like they normally do. Yeah, um, and that is very much what the Falcons are this year, uh, except this time, to be fair, they held on to the lead. Mm-hmm. They did end up winning and they recovered not one, but two onside kicks in the <laughs> game. So that was a nice change from usual. Um, so injury situation coming in uh, was, I think it, it changed the the outlook of this game. Um, first for the Falcons, Calvin Ridley with the foot injury. He did miss this game. I think they had listed him as questionable, but he didn't practice all week. Uh, And even coming in, it seemed like a big long shot for him to be able to play in this game. Uh, And then for the Broncos, you know, they were missing their two starting cornerbacks, Bryce Callahan and AJ Bouye. Neither guy played in this game. They didn't dress. Um, And you have to think that that was a big factor because these are actually two really good corners in this league, a big part of that Denver defense. And missing them, I think, was uh, part of the reason that the Falcons were able to be successful, at least early on. Um, so 
we've talked about the injuries, Evan. What were the inactives for the teams uh, for uh, coming into the game? Yeah, so um, Calvin Ridley, you obviously mentioned dealing with that foot injury, pretty much was considered day to day that Monday. So the outlook on him playing um, on Sunday, which is today when we're recording this, wasn't very good, and he ended up obviously missing the game. Um, so, you know, there, he's got a bye week next, so that should give him plenty of time to heal up. Um, also, Ido Smith, who for the second straight week, I believe, I guess you could consider him a healthy inactive because he hasn't been on any injury reports or anything. Um, and that's probably not a good sign for Ido Smith because Allison's dressing, who usually is the inactive running back. But ever since I noticed, ever since Dan Quinn was relieved of his duties, Ido Smith has been um pretty much active i mean inactive so yeah uh, that's something to monitor at least long term for ito smith's future because i mean at one time he was considered by some to be the better running back on the falcons team before you know obviously todd Gurley signed so uh not a good outlook on him uh dante fowler we were with uh without both oh excellent point yep yeah both of our pass rushers were out uh tech mckinley obviously dealing with the groin injury still with a uh, mix of immaturity <laughs> dropped in there. Um, <laughs> if you missed it, he tweeted at the team stuff. There's an article on the foulcallout.com. You can read about it, but um, yeah, he, uh, he's, he was act- inactive and they called that early in the week. So I think that had to play, you know, in this a lot. Um, Deidre Sanat uh, was inactive, not really a surprise, but um, you know, adds to the weird situation uh marlon davidson who came off the covid list uh inactive and john wetzel who pretty much just assume he's always going to be inactive unless there's an offensive line injury um but yeah Yeah. and then on the denver broncos you mentioned bryce callahan and uh aj boye being out their starting corners but also deontay spencer wide receiver and jeff driscoll who i believe is their backup quarterback um we're also inactive. So they only had four. We had seven out. Um, and pretty much uh, we escaped the injury bug during the game. I, I don't recall any serious injuries or anything like that. Um, yep. So, Yeah, I think the only thing that looked close was uh, uh, Hayden Hurst taking a shot to the head mm-hmm. relatively early on in the game. But he continued to play, so that uh, apparently was not an issue for him. Um, and, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Dante Fowler – and Tap McKinley both out. And I had said in a uh, preview podcast that the edges actually didn't matter because the Broncos offensive line has, you know, two uh, very good or decent uh, offensive tackles. It was the middle of their offensive line that was sort of a hot trash. <laughs> and yeah. Grady Jarrett took advantage of it today. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks for pointing out Fowler and Tack missing. And honestly, Tack is the one to watch going forward. I think Fowler, you know, he's been sort of battling his injuries all year as well. Um, Tack is the guy to watch going forward because of the discipline issues with him, as you mentioned. Uh, so certainly, you know, we will keep up with that on this podcast and, of course, at thefalconhot.com if there are any developments there. Um, so let's get into the Falcons offense, you know, they did put up over 30 points today for the first time. It seems like in a while. Uh, so Evan, why don't you recap some of the key statistics for the Falcons offense in this game? Yeah. So Matt Ryan had a pretty solid day, 25 of 35, 284 yards, three touchdowns and interception for a passer rating of 112.1. 
Um, just, uh, you know, another great day by Matt Ryan overall. Uh, Todd Gurley got it going a little bit, um, having 19 carries for 53 yards and a touchdown, a long of 13. Uh, Brian Hill always playing that kind of change of pace back, giving Gurley a rest at times, had eight carries for 24 yards. Didn't really get a whole lot going, averaging three yards per carry, but uh, it is what it is. Um, I mentioned earlier how the uh, Alameda Zacchaeus was the uh, top receiver for the Falcons. He had a long mm-hmm. 51-yard touchdown early on, um, but he finished the day with four receptions, 103 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Hayden Hurst, who pretty much you could argue was the one that benefited most from Calvin Ridley being absent, um, had eight yep. targets and caught seven of them for 62 yards, uh, one of which was 24 yards. Julio Day, uh, Julio Day, Julio Jones had a day, uh, five receptions, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Um, the play that stands out the most to me is the one where he obviously scored on, where he kind of sent the defender for a spin um, just by his route running ability. So, uh, yeah, that was nice to see. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it on the offset offensive side of the ball. Uh, Brandon Powell had a random, uh, one catch for nine yards and a touchdown. Um, so I guess he's still being used. Uh, I know a lot of people were hoping like Christian Rowland would get some usage, but I think they like Powell because they technically still use him in the offense and not just primarily as a special teams guy. So. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, again, another game where Matt Ryan has, this has been a trend in recent weeks where he's been spreading the ball around a little bit more. We're seeing instead of one or two guys getting, you know, 150, 140 yards, uh, we're seeing sort of what you just recapped where you've got, uh, you know, multiple guys getting one, two receptions and, you know, spreading that yardage out, which I think was going to be important in this game with this Broncos defense uh, and certainly trying to take advantage of their two best corners being out is just find those opportunities, no matter who it is, if it's Zacchaeus or Blake, uh, find them. And that's uh, absolutely what Matt Ryan did. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the Broncos defense, um, you know, coming in, they have two good pass rushers. And uh, I think the the story for the Falcons against this Broncos defense was how well the offensive line played. They gave, they did give up two sacks, but I think you could strongly argue uh, that those sacks weren't about necessarily them uh, blowing uh, their pass coverage as much as it was their pass protection. Uh, one of them was absolutely Matt Ryan holding on to the ball too long. And I think the other one was, you know, maybe a, just uh, him not finding an open receiver. But on the day, uh, their defense really didn't do a ton of damage. Justin Simmons had the only interception of the game uh, when Matt Ryan was looking for Zacchaeus uh, on a deep ball uh, down the middle. And honestly, other than that, you know, the Falcons played some pretty clean football and Josie Jewell led the team with uh, nine tackles. The two guys that actually did get the sack uh, was not there. It wasn't Bradley Chubb and uh, it it wasn't Malik Reed. It was uh, Demarcus Walker with uh, one, uh, one of the sacks and Draymond Jones with the other. So again, you know, for a Broncos defense that I think has uh, got some really talented players on that side of the ball, the, the Falcons offense really seemed to, do their job in this game. And in particular, again, that offensive line, I think is really beginning to become a strength of this team, even when they're going up against, you know, a, a defensive line that's a little bit more talented than some of the ones they've faced earlier in the year. Uh, so really encouraging to see from them. Happy to see that uh, even when we're missing Calvin Ridley, 
missing that arguably wide receiver 1B or 1A uh, at this point. You know, Julio is uh, on the backside of his career. Even when we're, we're missing Ridley, Ryan is still able to put up those types of yards and uh, even with you know the talent that, that Denver has going against him. So mm-hmm. uh, promising, although I do want to say uh, it felt like in this game, Dirk Cutter again was a problem in, in some key moments, including uh, I think one of the, the sacks that Ryan took in the second half set up a second and 16 and Dirk Cutter called a run up the middle for Gurley that gained one yard on second and 16. And I, I, I don't know about you, Evan. I was watching my Twitter as that play got called and mm. was executed and everyone had the exact same reaction, which was essentially what the hell. Yeah. I, I considered tweeting and I was like, well, there's already 20 people saying it. So <laughs> I'll just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. They just got way too conservative. I mean, Overall, it it doesn't matter, but I mean, the Broncos were able to get back into it because the offense clearly, if you watch the game, let off the gas, Um, which, you know, it's fine if you have complete confidence in your defense, but, you know, the score's not going to show it. I mean, it kind of does, but the Broncos were a get, you know, capture one of them onside kicks away from being back in this game. Like we weren't, we were sweating down to the last second, you know? Oh. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, here's the breakdown for Denver's scoring in the game. Uh, zero points in the first quarter, three in the second quarter, three in the third quarter, 21 points in the fourth quarter. Um, the Falcons scored 10, 10, 7, and 7. So at least they were somewhat consistent. Mm-hmm. But again, it just shows, uh, you know, as you mentioned, they won, but it should never completely gloss over some of the issues that this team continues to have, even under Raheem Morris, they did close this one out. Um, but as you mentioned, one of those onside kicks goes differently. We may be having a very different conversation right now. Mm-hmm. So, and the Falcons second one got really close. That yeah, first one, Foy, it, did. it went through Rico's hands. Yeah. yeah. The first one Foy jumped on and he had it completely. Um, but that second one, you know, Deion Jones, I believe, is the one who ended up recovering it. But yeah, it got knocked around. It almost, you know, that was a close one. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so we're going to talk about what the Falcons did on defense and what the Broncos were able to do offensively against them. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are... It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. 
And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by my co-host, Evan Birchfield. We are recapping the Falcons' win over the Denver Broncos, 34-27 to in Week 9 of the 2020 NFL season. Let's talk about the Falcons' defense because uh, for three quarters, maybe even three and a half quarters, they were actually really, really good in this game. Mm. And then the wheels started to fall off. Uh, let's start with what the Broncos did against them, because as I mentioned earlier, uh, they scored six points in the first three quarters, 21 in the fourth quarter. Um, so Evan, why don't you tell us what the Broncos offense did collectively in the, the four total quarters? Yeah. So, you know, normally the script is they struggle against opposing quarterbacks and I mean, they didn't struggle necessarily, but Drew Locke still had like a decent day. Um, he threw the ball a ton. That was the biggest problem for the Broncos. They had absolutely no running game. Uh, but Drew Locke had 20, 25 throws, uh, sorry, 25 completions for 313 yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 77.9. Um, he also had seven rushes for 47 yards and a late touchdown, um, yep. which was, I believe this it was 16 yards. So, I mean, he... He did pretty well. It was just overall, I mean, you look, the biggest thing that stands out for the Broncos was Philip Lindsay having eight carries for 23 yards, Melvin Gordon, six carries, 18 yards, zero touchdowns amongst them. Um, they couldn't run the ball, you know? Yep. And that's usually what the Falcons have been doing, at least lately, quietly doing well. Um, and they pretty much just shut down the Broncos' uh, running backs. But. The person they did not shut down was Jerry Judy, who had seven receptions for 125 yards and a touchdown. One of them was 41 mm. yards. Um, you know, he, he didn't really get it going until late because uh, early on it was like there for a while he only had one catch, but he started heating up a little bit when they started mixing up different players. But when A.J. Terrell was on him, he was pretty much shut down. But then at one point, I think Sheffield was on him, and that's pretty much where it benefited Judy the most. Um, Hamler had six receptions, 75 yards, uh, Noah Fant, three receptions, 45 yards. Uh, Patrick had four receptions, 29 yards and a touchdown. But yeah, overall, not enough to, you know, you got to have more balance and them not having any run game at all kind of hurt them the most. Cause then Locke was forced to kind of make plays on the whim. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, as for the Falcons defense, uh, Ricardo Allen had a late game interception, that uh, inarguably was forced by Grady Jarrett's pressure up mm -hmm. the middle on Drew Locke. But it was nice to see that. And that interception, I think, was incredibly timely. It ended up leading to uh, an additional touchdown for the Falcons, which ultimately they needed. And uh, that was the first time Ricardo Allen has really shown up in a while, so it was nice to see him come through with that play. Um Tackles on the day, Foye Lukun, seven tackles. Uh, he also added a sack, the only sack of the game. Uh, Deion Jones had five. Keanu Neal had four, plus a tackle for loss. Grady Jarrett, I want to talk about Grady Jarrett for a second here because if you look at the stats, he had no sacks. Um, he only had one tackle for loss. You would look at those stats and say, oh, well, Grady didn't do much. And if you say that, you would be coming <laughs> – <laughs> away with the exact wrong impression. Um, I don't think a player on that defense impacted this game more than Grady Jarrett did. He was absolutely destroying the Broncos offensive line up the middle. And 
during my preview podcast, I mentioned that this was the matchup that I thought would be the equalizer in this game. Grady Jarrett terrorizing the middle of that line and, and just putting Drew Locke uh, into a position where he was going to have to throw the ball away and and or make a mistake. And sure enough, that is the story of the game for the Falcons defense. Grady Jarrett did what we thought he would do, which was to terrorize the opposing quarterback, um, humiliate the guard center and guard in the middle of the offensive line. And even though his stats may not show a sack, it may not show you know these multiple tackles for loss, have faith, Falcons fans. It means nothing. Grady Jarrett is a game wrecker. He absolutely eviscerated that Broncos offensive line repeatedly. And I just want to point that out because when we do the, the recaps of the stats, you know, it's easy to, to find the guys that pop on paper, but no one popped more on the field than Grady Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Um, so as for the, the rest of the players, I, I want to point out two others. Um, number one, AJ Terrell, who had a pass deflection early on and has consistently been improving every single week to the point now where he is beginning to truly look the part of a wide receiver one on this team, or I'm sorry, a cornerback one and being able to go up against uh, those top receivers. He has developed now into a very good corner in his rookie season. And this is a season without training camp, a season without, uh, you know, the preseason for those guys to get those snaps and Terrell missed some time early on with going on the COVID list. So fantastic game from him. And in my opinion, and I want to get your opinion on this as well, Evan, mm-hmm. Isaiah Oliver, who has been getting a lot of hate from Falcons fans as of late, um, I feel is actually, if, if you were to ask me between him and Kendall Sheffield, who is playing better right now, bar none, Oliver is playing better. And one of the things he's actually been exceptional at is open field tackling, and he demonstrated that yet again in this game. Um, so what are your thoughts on some of these defensive guys I've mentioned, including the corners and, and how they're progressing? Yeah, I would agree with all of that. Uh, Foy has just kind of I, – I knew he was good before, but this year he has taken the biggest step, and I keep saying it on Twitter, the biggest step of anybody. Um, Grady Jarrett obviously is just going to always be our best defensive player, at least until – you know, he's much older or they bring in some other talent or something, but he, he's the cornerstone of the defense. Uh, Foy is impressing. Deion Jones, still good. AJ Terrell. I mean, he's locking down receivers. Um, the problem is they start switching around coverage and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. like today, for example, um, when Terrell was on Judy, Judy wasn't doing like anything, but then the second Judy was on Sheffield who, you know, I always had high hopes for Sheffield, and then he had an injury on top of that. But uh, if you're if you're somebody who follows PFF, he's literally like one of the worst corners right now on PFF. Uh, yeah, in in the entire league, um, it's rough to see. But I mean, you're also seeing it in the games, unfortunately. Yeah, like he's not passing the eye test either. Um, Denard, it was good to see Denard back because, you know, obviously he's been out dealing with injury, looked good against the bears. Um, but yeah, he, he was out there. I remember him making a key deflection. Uh, but yeah, Oliver's impressed, you know, early on he, he was, it was kind of rough. Cause I, I mean, a lot of yeah. people mentioned like the DK Metcalf burning him thing, but DK Metcalf is incredibly fast. And we've kind of seen that in recent, recent weeks. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I don't have anything wrong with this defense. 
I do, I do notice, you know, and I think it's kind of the elephant in the room, but under Morris, the defense, which is weird to say because he's the defensive coordinator before, but since Dan Quinn's been gone, the defense have played like not even, you can't say they've been playing slightly better. Like they've been playing lights out better. Um, I mean, overall, obviously you can look at the team record and stuff like that, but the point differential is plus 24 with Raheem Morris as head coach, negative 39 with Dan Quinn as the head coach, um, opponents points per game was 32.2 under Dan Quinn, only 21.0 under Raheem Morris. Um, I mean, like the proof is in the pudding here. Like the team is doing much better, especially on defense. Um, it is worth noting that, you know, I guess you could say this at the time, the Seahawks, Cowboys, I mean, those are amazing offenses. Um, if you want to say the Broncos don't have a great offense, I wouldn't disagree with you, but it's definitely something to monitor, especially since they technically should be four, four, no under Raheem Morris, you know, you take away that lions yeah. with uh girly falling in the end zone on accident. They're four, no, since they make that change. So, right. Yeah, and, and fantastic point um, because you know the Falcons are three and six. Again, no one is going to predict a three and six team is going to make the playoffs. I, I just highly doubt they're going to run the table yeah. at this point. Although it is weird because uh, just not to jump in, but you know we do have that extra playoff spot. On top of that, the NFL because That's of true. COVID stuff has talked about expanding to sixteen teams. So that would not only have seven, but now all of a sudden you go from having six in a normal season to eight playoff teams per conference. So who really knows, you know, if they, if they went out, I mean, yeah, they could. Yeah. Uh, And even if they just lose one or two more, they could still be in the conversation with as bad as uh, many teams, the NFC have been this year. I mean, just look at the NFC East and it's a bit of a disaster over there. Um, So yeah, this could, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, not let's let's pump predict it. <laughs> we don't want you all going out and placing some bets here, but no, 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 please do not. Please do not. Uh, the Falcons are not a playoff team at this point. Let's not pretend that they are, but they are to your point, Evan, you know, the defense has been playing better. These late game sort of, you know, minor meltdowns are concerning only from the standpoint that um, they're not protecting leads mm-hmm. the way they need to. Uh, However, as you mentioned, they're three and one since Raheem has taken over. Could have been four and zero were not for the the girly uh, tr- tripping into the end zone incident. Uh, so I, I feel like this Falcons defense is beginning to play the way that we thought they could coming into this season, which is to say, not necessarily a great defense. Mm-hmm. You know, let's not let's not misstate this, um, but a defense that is. Uh, good enough to keep teams relatively in check, you know, maybe a m- mediocre. So like in the 18 to 25 range, but if, if you paired them with a really good offense, that this would have been, a, this would have been a playoff team. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what we're seeing minus the, you know, the, the offense and, and Dirk Cutter and his inconsistencies as a play caller. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, foyer again, big game from him. He has, he has turned in an incredible, third year mm-hmm. uh, really encouraged about what that means for him over the long term with the Falcons. I feel like he's a player that the next coaching staff is going to come in. They're going to say, we, we need to keep this guy around for the long term. Um, and we're seeing, you know, signs that maybe this Falcons team, 
under a new coach, under a new general manager can be competitive again very quickly. Uh, and I think for me, that's one of the takeaways from these recent games is that um, even though it's still very, very unlikely that the Falcons make the playoffs, and we're certainly not going to predict that, I feel like this is now becoming a team that is showing that they've got pieces to build around. It's mm-hmm. not a complete blow up the roster situation. And to me, that's encouraging. It means that 2021, we don't necessarily have to write it off as a quote unquote rebuilding year. It could very well be that the Falcons could be competitive again very quickly. So, Mm -hmm. um, Evan, any final thoughts on this game before we talk about what's coming up next? Uh, No, not really. I think we covered it pretty well. It was just one of them games where you're enjoying it, but also they make you a little nervous, but you're happy they won in the end. (laughs) That would be my quick summarization of it. Yeah, it, it's it is very much what you expect from a 2020 Atlanta Falcons <laughs> team. Uh, as for what's coming up, uh, Evan, you and I get a break next Sunday as the Falcons mm-hmm. will be on their bye week, uh, week ten. They do come back the next week. They will be on the road, taking on the New Orleans Saints, who uh, will be featuring a 118 year old Brewdrees. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I said Brewdrees. You're welcome, Rachel. And uh, Drew Brees, yes, the quarterback of the Saints. Uh, And uh, we'll see. The thing is, when it comes to the Saints, uh, no idea what that game is going to be because you cannot go by the records. You cannot go by how they match up on paper. When it comes to Falcon-Saints games, Mm -hmm. throw everything out the window. It is going to be uh, completely unpredictable and a slugfest no matter what. Um, so we've got that coming up. And then after that, uh, the Falcons will come home to host the Raiders. And then they go into the final stretch with some tough, tough games. Oh, yeah. They'll, yeah, they'll host the saints on the road against the chargers at home for the Buccaneers on the road against the chiefs and last game of the year on the road against Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay, as they call it now. Ugh. <laughs> um, all right. So Evan, as we wrap up this podcast, why don't you tell our listeners, what you've got going on and where they can find you. Yeah. So this week was salute to service week. Um, and this was a salute to service game, uh, against the Broncos for the Falcons. So they played for 280 families that have a fallen hero. Um, it's a tremendous cause. And I, I was fortunate to interview a lady who, um, is involved in it. And also, um, a family, the Dean family who had a fallen hero who, I mean, the the way the Falcons, you can talk bad about the Falcons on the front of how they handle football games and stuff like that. But when it comes to the military, the Falcons are committed. Um, yep. you, you just, I mean, it, it, you look at the awards. I mean, the Salute to Service Award from 2016 to 2018 was, um, I don't know if it's in the correct order, but it was Dan Quinn, Andre Roberts, and Ben Garland. Um, and that's out of the whole league. Three straight years yeah. for the Falcons. Um but it's just a wonderful thing, and I, I was able to interview her, and um, I'm not sure exactly what day that article will be posted, but um, you know, you, if you thought Ben Garland, Matt Bryant, uh, Keanu Neal, if you thought these guys were good people before, wait till you read this, because mm. it, really, it really took it to the next level. Like They go beyond what they're expected to do. Um, just a bunch of great guys. So, Oh, and you can find me on Twitter at Evan Birchfield. 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, And that is, uh, Evan, thank you. Uh, As you mentioned, phenomenal stuff with what the Falcons do in our community and what they do for our military. Uh, As a Falcons fan uh, for many years, I have to say it is one of the things that I still remain extremely, extremely proud of for this franchise and for the for the men involved with this franchise so kudos to them for what they've done supporting our uh, men and women in, in the military um, as for me guys you can follow me on twitter at falcoholic dw updates on this podcast at falcoholic pod and of course our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com so for evan birchfield this is david walker thank you guys for listening in talk with you next time